morning. Please be seated. Sometimes the decision about which text to use when preaching is a little tough. I must say this morning, it was a no-brainer. How could we not preach from Paul's great letter to the Corinthians in that great chapter on the nature of love? The church at Corinth was planted by St. Paul. Those were his exact words. He says to them in chapter 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. And that is exactly how it is to this day. And we still call those who start churches correctly church planters because the church is not an organization. It's not a company. It is not an institution. The church is a living organism, the body of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Amen. But it seems as if this was one of his more problem children, if you will, perhaps the most difficult. And do you know we can be thankful for that? Because his two letters to them have provided much-needed instruction for the local churches ever since. It is the most lengthy exposition of our understanding of the liturgy of the table that we have in the New Testament, for example. But let us not judge the Corinthians, lest we be judged, because there are no perfect churches. No amen? No amen? <laughs> Why not? Because they're full of sinners. <laughs> Forgiven sinners, yes. Saved by the grace of God sinners, all of whom are still works in progress. Yes, Jesus loves us and receives us. More than that, our Lord, is, in his own words, actually goes out to seek and to save his lost sheep. And he loves us just as we are, just as he finds us. However... He loves us far too much to leave us in that sorry condition. So he begins a good work in us, as Paul describes it to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6. And he will, as he says there, carry it to completion till the day of Christ, the last day, when having seen him, we will then, and only then, be completely transformed into his image. Thus, in chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says to them and to us, and I will show you a still more excellent way. An excellent way to do what? Well, to be the people of God, to be the, uh, together the sheep of his fold, to live as he did. And this way, of course, is the way of love. In the ancient Greek language of the New Testament, there are four different words for love. And our focus this morning is on this particular one. It's the word agape. And it means a disposition of the heart to seek the welfare and to meet the needs of others. It's a word that the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans seldom used. It was really not even considered much of a virtue, if anything, perhaps more of a weakness. And it was probably, I'm, I'm more or less guessing on this, seldom if ever used of the gods and goddesses of ancient Greek and Roman mythology, who were jealous, easily offended, vindictive Type gods who were really probably more to be feared than loved anyway. But Jesus used it often, as did the apostles in their writings. There is a verb form for love and also a noun form. But there's also an adjective form of love that is usually translated in our scriptures, beloved, or if you will, beloved. All, in, all together, those three different uses of three different forms of the word love occur in the New Testament. You ready for this? 
over 300 times. I think God's trying to tell us something there, don't you? It is the word that the New Testament uses for the love of God, which means, of course, the love that God has for us, as well as the love that we are to have for God and for one another. So within Paul's letter, we have here what amounts to a letter within the letter. One scholar puts it this way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul gave the world a love letter without equal. And in it, he gives us a portrait of what love, what real love, what God's love looks like. Not in theory, but in practice. Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You'll notice that these are not feelings, are they? These are, these are actions. And I say this because of our tendency to think of love as something that's sort of touchy-feely. Right? God's love, however, his love for us and our love for him is not about the warm fuzzies. It's about action. Every one of these is a doing or not doing. Love does this. Love doesn't do that. Case in point are these very letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in which he takes them to task. As you read through these letters, as I read through them again this week, the word that came to my mind, if you'll kind of a strange combination, this is a spiritual beatdown. I mean, Paul lowers the hammer on them. And yet, in these two letters, he uses the word agape, God-like love, no less than 32 times. Why does he write to them? To hurt them? No, he says in the second letter, because I love you. But we're not going to focus on these actions this morning. I do suggest that sometime this week, you take some time, an hour or two, whatever, and take an inventory of your own life. Take these qualities, write them down, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. To say, is this me? Do I do this? Do I do that? I challenge you to do that. For the rest of our time this morning, let's focus not on the what, but on the how. How can we put into practice this more excellent way with our earthly family, with one another as the church, the family of God, and with those who are outside, who are not part of God's family. Now, what you're not going to hear from me this morning is anything or any form of the following. Try hard. You can do it. Pray more. Ask God to make you more loving. Try harder. This is no locker room pep talk. Go back to Paul's description of what real love is. Patient, kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. Is not all of these, are not all of these a portrait of God himself? In particular, God as we see him in the flesh, in the four gospels. God with us, Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not why we, like his earlier followers, were so drawn to him? And if that's so, then why is it so difficult for us? Well, James answers this question in part in his letter, James, the brother of our Lord. He asks kind of a rhetorical question. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Well, he already knows. Is it not this, that your passions, your, your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. 
so you fight and quarrel. Do not most, if not all, of our conflicts, the anger that we sometimes have, the resentments, stem from our own neediness? Not so much for things, but the need for approval, acceptance, our fears of things like rejection, of being left out, of being alone. And our insecurities, our, our neediness causes us to become a lot of things that when we see it in others, we really don't like it. But it's hard for us to see in ourselves. We become defensive, angry, and hurt. As in, I'm not angry. I'm just hurt. Thus, we usually wind up blaming those around us, and we know how well that goes. They get all defensive and hurt or angry, and so the cycle just goes on and on and on. And that's not to say that we can always live without conflict. We, we can't. But we can, as followers of Christ, settle our conflicts. How? By one of, the, one of these attributes of love, forgiveness. By both asking for forgiveness and by forgiving those who wrong us. But only if they really apologize and really mean it, right? No. No. No, by seeking reconciliation. Paul tells us love is not resentful. It does not keep a record of the ways we've been wronged. I used to have a dear friend and colleague in Florida who called this the Guilt Museum. How many of you have been to the Guilt Museum? You're usually taken there by someone else, are you not? A parent, a spouse. Some people are really, really well acquainted with the Guilt Museum. Or we can live like pagans, strangers to the love and mercy of God, and retaliate. Get even. Teach them a thing or two. Can't talk to me that way. And round and round it goes. And when we do that, what does it do? More gas on the fire. The Apostle John was a big fan of this word agape. Listen, listen to his take on it. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, he starts, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son, his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the, the satisfactory payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected, notice, in us. Not by us, but in us. In other words, love becomes a part of who we are by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it becomes a part of us, what that means is that it redefines us as those who have been born of God, as his children who take after, therefore, our Heavenly Father. Then we have this gem from the Lord Jesus himself. Just as, just as the Father has loved me, not kind of like the Father loves me, not a lot like the Father loves me, sort of like the Father loves me, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Do you take that literally? Do you take Jesus at his word that he loves you as much as as the Father loves him? 
That's, that's, that's pretty hard to wrap your brain around, isn't it? And he, is, and you know, he knows you better than you. we even know ourselves, does he? He knows us. But he still loves us. And so his command, then at the end of that verse is, abide in my love. Abide in it. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, says this about that verse. The love of God was fully poured out in him, in Jesus, that from him it might flow to us, his members. So then we may contemplate in Jesus, as in a mirror, God's paternal love towards us, that we should continually enjoy that love. That's abiding. Continually enjoy that love with which he loved us. Jesus, our elder brother, is saying, I love you as much as the Father loves me. And he tells us to abide, to continue enjoying that love. Illustration. I like to cook. Some of you know that. I actually love to cook. Debbie likes it when I cook. Where are you? Where are you? Oh, there you are. Debbie likes it when I cook. And it's, and it's not just because that means she doesn't have to cook, is it? Okay, you're in church. You're in church. Oh, that's your final answer? Okay. My wife has learned to take a joke over the years around me. No, I do enjoy. I do enjoy it very much. And I like to get creative. I, I know the recipes are important, but I like to experiment. And one of the things I like is marinades. I like to make marinades, not buy them, but just take ingredients and, oh, I wonder what this would do for it. And you put that beef or chicken or whatever, and you put it in the marinade, you put it in the fridge overnight, and what happens? All those yummy flavors just soak in and they become part of it. It's not just something you pour over it, like gravy, but no, it becomes part of it. And that is kind of, to me, a good image of what it means to abide, to abide in it, to marinate in it, to enjoy it. But what's the connection? All this is well and good, but how does this make me more patient and kind and forgiving and all these loving actions towards all these unlovable people around me? Well, here it is. Here it is. So listen carefully. Knowing this love that God has for us, internalizing it, abiding in it, marinating in it, frees us from those actions and attitudes that lead to conflict and misunderstanding and all those things that hinder love and that foster hate and indifference. Now let me give you a few examples that need to be right. Some people have a strong need to be right. The need to impress others. And hence we become boastful. We become boastful ourselves, become critical of others, put them down. And when we doubt God's love and His concern, His promises, to care for us and to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, we tend to become a lot of things. Manipulative, two-faced, dishonest, phony, just doing whatever it takes to get ahead and get by. Our fear of others holds us back from truly being there for them. Why? Because we get all self-conscious and we're afraid of we'll say it wrong or we're afraid that, that what they'll think of us and we're afraid to be honest with others. When that is often the most loving thing to be. The need to please others at all costs. And worst of all, the need to be liked. 1984, Academy Awards. Sally Field. 
Places in the heart. There she is. Good flick. And some of you remember, some of you are old enough to remember what happened there. In her speech, she said this, and I quote, this is the exact quote, I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. And for that simple statement, that honest, kind of just emotional statement, she was mercilessly ridiculed in the media. How many of you recall that? I mean, the late night comics had a field day with it. They mocked her from one end to the other. And that treatment in itself, that piling on, well, it's not very loving, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. And it speaks volumes. Perhaps, perhaps they saw more of their own neediness in her words than they cared to admit. But I call this the worst of our flaws because I believe that more than anything else, our desire to be liked is a shabby and cheap substitute for our greatest need. It's a counterfeit. And that is the need to be loved and the need to love. When we settle for being liked, as I said a moment ago, it, it leads us to all kind of phony, manipulative, game-playing stuff, which means that we wind up, get this, being usually neither liked nor loved. Well, that's a real good deal, isn't it? All part of the devil's bargain. And in the final analysis, when we do that, it's game, set, and match to the enemy. Thankfully, there is a better way. What St. Paul rightly calls the still more excellent way to live. Six weeks ago, we lost someone at Holy Cross who exemplified this, didn't she? That kind of love, Shirley Baldwin. Why was she so beloved? Simple. Because she herself practiced this still more excellent way of loving others. And beloved, it pains me to ask this. When we see this in her, to ask, why is this still more excellent way so exceptional? Why is it not the norm? Why is it not common? And beloved, that is not a rhetorical question on my part. That is the question of the day. And it's a question I ask of myself as well. Maybe, unlike the early church, we have it too easy. Tertullian was a man who was born in the year 160 A.D. He was a lawyer, a civil servant in the Roman government, later became a Christian and a priest in Carthage, North Africa. He was one of the great early theologians. And as a former pagan, he was a masterful defender, a staunch defender of the faith. He openly challenged the beliefs and practices of non-Christians, saying in one of his writings this, that he imagined pagans looking at the Christians and saying, look how they love one another. For they themselves, meaning the pagans, hate one another. And how they, the Christians, are ready to die for each other. For they themselves, the pagans, are readier to kill each other. Did not our Lord Jesus Christ himself tell his disciples the same thing at the Last Supper, just hours before his death? Did he not say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, all of you? Kind of like I love you? Sort of like I love you? No, 
you love others the same way that I love you. He goes on to say this, by this all people, including the pagans, like in Tertullian's day, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And thereby our Lord gives the right to the unbelieving pagans of our day to assess the reality, the genuineness of our claims to be followers of Jesus based on this one question. Do we love one another like Jesus loves us? Lord, may the still more excellent way increasingly become our way every day for all of our days. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.